The story so far, God has organized this meeting between Peter and Cornelius, if you remember. That was week one, about three weeks ago, sorry. And at the same time, he has been preparing Peter by showing him that the gospel is for everyone. And now we come to the wonderful climax of the story to the end of chapter 10, where God confirms that the Gentiles are truly part of his church. So let's have that little read. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speak in another tongue, in other tongues, and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to to them being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So we give orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Before Peter had even finished speaking, and to be fair, he'd barely even started, the Holy Spirit completely interrupts the meeting because God had sent his spirit on Cornelius and the other gentlemen in the room. The people listening believed, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, well, Peter never actually got to finish his sermon. And there's no mistaking the presence and the power of God. As the Holy Spirit turned up, Peter had to step back. The result was the inward change in the hearts of the people and in this outward sign of speaking in tongues, of praise of God. But most significantly, this was a repeat of what had happened when the Spirit of God had fallen in Acts chapter 2. And to everyone's amazement, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way that the Jews had received the Holy Spirit. So what do we learn from these few verses we've just been looking at? Well, the first thing I think we learn is very simple. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as you are saved, you are fully qualified to, be, to receive and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, more accurately, you cannot be saved without him. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings you to Christ. He points you to the words, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But also he is the one who brings assurance of your salvation. It tells, tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Peter explains it very clearly. When you heard the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, as in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So the moment that you asked Jesus to come into your life, you received his spirit. But listen, that is not the end of the story 
You also need to be filled, to be refilled daily with the Holy Spirit. Listen, there are sometimes significant moments in our lives when the Holy Spirit comes on a person or on a church or in a community or even on a nation that are remarkable, that are significant. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, or said, If your doctrine of the Holy Spirit does not include the idea of the Holy Spirit falling upon people, it is seriously, grievously defective. He goes on, he went on to add, surely one of the prime explanations of the present state of the Christian church. Now that was written probably 50 years ago, but I think that is still very relevant for us today. You see, God will and God does pour out his spirit freely on all who ask. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not just some vague awareness of his presence. When the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius, on his friends, there's this dramatic change and everybody notices. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person's life, it will impact it. Well, what do we expect? Well, what, what actually happens? Well, I think the first thing that actually happens is that you receive the love of God. This is Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, there's always this impartation of God's love into your life as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit always points you towards Jesus. He assures you of his great love for you. Bill Johnson puts it like this. The degree to which you perceive the face, the love of God, corresponds directly to the degree of your yieldedness to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I think happens when we receive the Spirit, and there will be a response when the Holy Spirit comes that will change not just our emotions, but will change our heart. Some people, when they receive God's Spirit, when God touches them, they're very still. Quite quiet, just as God's peace just comes to rest upon them. For others, they cry, they laugh, they sing, some even shout. For others, there's a physical reaction. Bodies can shake, even some people can fall down in the presence of God. But there's always, there's always this deep sense of joy that comes when the Holy Spirit comes on a person. You marvel at your salvation. He points you to Jesus. Your heart is warmed in his presence. So these outward manifestations may vary from person to person, and they certainly do. And in many ways, but in many ways, they are incidental to what's going on there because we're not seeking after the experience. Don't go looking for experiences. No matter how dramatic they may appear to be, you seek after him. We seek the Holy Spirit. Touch from him. Thirdly, when the Holy Spirit comes on a person's life, you will receive gifts and you will grow in the fruits of the Spirit. There are a number of gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. The main passages are first 
flicker up, hopefully. I'm on the right slide. Let's move a bit further. There we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. And, and, and they mention the gifts, gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, the gift of discerning spirits, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, the gift of administration, of help, of hospitality, of encouragement. And, and there's, there's many, many different gifts. And then... We also mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, it mentions the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I want you to note that there is one big difference between the gift, of a spirit, the, the gift of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit proves your spirituality Gifts don't. They are given, you just receive. God gives, you receive. And the way you can make sure that you're walking in the Spirit is not through exercising gifts, it's through by the fruits of the Spirit flowing within your life. In fact, it's very possible to be moving in the gifts of the Spirit and yet be living an unacceptable life before God. So you need to be manifesting the fruits but also the gifts of the Holy Spirit in equal measure and with equal importance within your life. The gift that is mentioned here in chapter 10, verse 46, is the gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues is perhaps the only gift of the Spirit that requires you to humble yourself. It challenges pride in the way in which you live. And by praying in tongues... But praying in tongues is not just sort of, it's not the pinnacle of, of your walk with God. It's just one of the many gifts. So what is the gift of tongues? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, it describes it as a human or as an angelic language. In 1 Corinthians 14 2, it describes it as a prayer language. For anyone, it says, who speaks in tongues does not speak to people, but to God. So when someone in one of our meetings perhaps prays out in tongues, they're speaking from, it's human speaking to God. It's, it's that way. It's, it's an act of worship towards God. That's why when someone brings an interpreta interpretation, it's always going to be directed as worship towards God. It's not prophecy. Prophecy is different. God speaks differently. But speaking of tongues, it builds up the individual. It transcends the language barrier. When you don't have the words, you can pray in the Spirit to express the very deep cries of your heart. It is very helpful in praise and worship. It's, it's helpful in praying for yourself, also praying for others. It's just a wonderful, useful, God-honoring gift. Because as you pray in the Spirit, it's praying in the will of God, and there is no higher way of praying. Praying in the Spirit guarantees that you're praying according to the will of God. Now, I hope you know this, I'm sure you do, but you cannot improve on God's plan for your life. You can't do better than he can do for you. Honestly, you can't. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, if you ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. 
But there's a big if at the beginning of that statement for most of us. How can we be sure we are praying according to the will of God? Yes, that's, yet that is exactly what we are commanded to do. So in order for us to be heard by God, you must pray according to his will. In other words, you need to pray in the Spirit. And praying in tongues is one of the ways in which you can pray in the Spirit. But to do this effectively... You need to make sure you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, which means praying without bitterness, without unrepentant sin, but also need to be manifesting the fruits of the Holy Spirit within your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the fruits of the Spirit will flow to the degree that you do not grieve the Spirit by bitterness or anger or unforgiveness. But I want to make just one important point here before I move on. Not every believer gets the gift of tongues. God gives as he chooses in his time. But also we, we also are told that we need to we need to seek, we need to be desiring these gifts. So listen, if you want the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or one of the other gifts, what do you do about it? You ask him. Just ask him. Ask your heavenly father, but also understand that God gives as he chooses. Second thought I we learn from this passage not only that we need to be first of all filled be filled with the spirit but secondly that God works according to his own sovereign will there seems to be this tendency sort of this natural tendency among Christians to look at the way in which God works and try to find some magical formula from it notice that The logic goes something like this. If we do certain things in a certain way, and when we get the right words in a certain order, well then we can get God to work and he will do what what, what we want him to do. But God cannot be manipulated. He cannot be controlled in any way. You cannot box him in. He alone is sovereign. And he cannot be contained. And, and, and he will fulfill his purposes in his way, in his time, not ours. However, you could be forgiven for immediately jumping to the conclusion as we have read through this story, such is the similarity that exists when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost on the Jews in Acts chapter 2 and then on the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And you can look at this and think, well, this, this must be the way that God does it. Seems a logical conclusion. After all, in Acts chapter 2, they are gathered together in one room In Acts chapter 10, they are gathered together in one room, and then the Spirit falls on the Jews, the Spirit falls on the Gentiles, and then the Jews, they speak in tongues, and they praise God. The Gentiles, they speak in tongues, and they praise God. That looks like a pattern to me. And God is giving his Spirit 
to this completely new group of people in exactly the same way. So surely that must mean this is the way it must happen. But God's purpose in doing it this way was not so that they could come up with some formula, not that we could come up with some magic formula of how we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, God does have a purpose in what he's doing here. See, he wants to ensure that the six Jewish people who'd come with Peter realize that these Gentiles are truly born again, that they're filled with the same spirit equal before God. In fact, the message is loud and clear. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And the reaction of the Jewish believers sort of says it all. They are astonished but they certainly don't miss what God is saying here. The Gentiles are full recipients of God's gift, just like the Jews were, but it is exactly the same. And it may seem odd to us that Peter's Jewish traveling companions were so amazed, but you've got to bear in mind that they haven't seen the vision that Peter's seen, nor have they heard the voice of God speaking to them and telling them that the Gentiles were fully included in this covenant community. Also, from birth, they've been told that the Jews alone were God's chosen people. But they still don't fully realize that God's plan was to equally bless all nations in the way in which he had blessed them. That was until now. And yet, as we mentioned last week, it shouldn't have been a big surprise to them because this was the way in which God always intended it to be. Right from the very beginning, right back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, Abram was told by God that all the families of the earth will be blessed through the nation of Israel. So what is God doing here? Just a little summary. See, he's now teaching these Jews, these Caesarean Jews, the same thing that he had taught Peter through a vision, that God does not have favorites. And yes, the striking similarity should not be interpreted as some formula for how God has worked. Instead, God is God, and he will work as he chooses according to his divine will, according to his purposes. Let me give you another example. In 1740, God poured out revival on New England. It's known as the Great Awakening. It's one of the most, I guess, intense outpouring of God's Spirit in American history. The fire of God just fell everywhere. And during that time, a man called Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He preached at a place called Enfield. However, it wasn't the first time he had preached that particular sermon. He had previously delivered the identical message, the identical sermon in his own congregation with very little effect. There seemed to be absolutely no impact through that one message. But he felt led by the Holy Spirit to use it again. It has to be said that Edward's techniques were described as unimpressive he always read his sermons in an even voice, but with great conviction. He shunned shouting or theatrical antics. 
His goal was to impress his listeners with the power of truth and their desperate need for God. So there's nothing in his style, nothing in his presentation that would account for what happened on that day in Enfield. And yet, here is what the eyewitnesses recorded. This is what they described. That before the sermon was done, there was the great moaning and crying that went through the whole house. People were crying, what shall I do to be saved? Oh, I am going to hell. Oh, what shall I do for Christ? And so on. And such was the outcry that Edwards had to stop because the shrieks and the cries were so piercing and so amazing. It was the beginning of a remarkable move of God. It is estimated that 10% of New England were converted in two years. If you can imagine every church in Chester doubling or tripling in size in the next two years, it gives you some idea of the enormity of what was going on there. And why, Edwards? It was simply God's sovereign plan. So it doesn't mean that we need to preach sermons twice before they have any effect. It doesn't. Thank goodness you're thinking. It means that God cannot be contained. It means he cannot be constrained. And that God works according to his sovereign will. He always has, and he always will. The third thing that we learn from these few verses, I think, is this. That God is still looking for spirit-filled men and women of faith and action. Events of chapter 10 would not have happened without one person's obedience to the word and to the spirit, Peter. Peter needed to be willing to hear from God and to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It required Peter to be willing to do something that he had never done before. In his case, he had to go and visit a Gentile's house in obedience to God's word and through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, Jonathan Edwards, described as a righteous man who pursued holiness, but he also, he also lived in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's said that Jonathan Edwards' heart's cry was not about himself, but always about God. He wrote, I wish to lie low before God as in the dust that I might be nothing and that God might be all, that I might become as a little child. Listen, God uses men and women like that. Those that humble themselves before God. Those that bow the knee in his presence. And you need to be willing to listen when God speaks through his word, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. You need to be willing to humble yourself to to have a mind changed by God's word and God's spirit, and then to live in obedience to what God is telling you to do. And listen, even when it's outside of your comfort zone, or he calls you to do things that you just, just do not expect, or even things that you don't find easy, you step out in obedience to him. And God is calling us to step out in faith in the power of his spirit with a whole new level of expectancy. Let's lift our gaze 
Let's lift our eyes to the one we have worshipped here this morning, the one who is glorious beyond, beyond our comprehension. And as we look at him, surely our expectancy will just go up and up and up. Listen, you need more of the Holy Spirit. And, and so do I. Because it's the Holy Spirit that puts us in Christ. It's by the Spirit that we know God's love. It's by the Spirit that we are empowered to love one another. The example that we follow, of course, is the example of Jesus who lived his life incomplete and utterly filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, many people shy away from the Holy Spirit. They, they, they just find, it, find him a little bit difficult sometimes. But listen, there's absolutely no reason why you should. To be filled with the Spirit is to be like Jesus. And our lives and our church needs to be awash with the Holy Spirit. But all too often, we just settle for a lot, lot less. I was at university when I began to discover the power of God and in particularly the Holy Spirit. And it was a shock to me. I, I thought these people who called themselves spirit-filled Christians were a little bit weird, a bit freaky. And there was this slow awakening within me to the fact that God had more for me. And I, I began to pray for the baptism, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And some time went past until one evening I'm praying with a friend in my room. And, and as he prays for me, he asked God to pour out his spirit. And I experienced perhaps one of the most dramatic encounters of the Holy Spirit that I've, that I've ever had. There have been times since when his presence has been incredibly intense. But on this occasion, it felt to me like the room itself was shaking. The weight of God's presence fell. The joy of the Lord just increased. And, and for some time, we praised God. We sang. We prayed. That day, I received the gift of tongues, a new direction, a new passion to see my fellow students come to faith in Jesus. And God moved. And I'm so thankful for those days and listen, there's been many more times, significant moments, significant markers in my life when God has turned up and just filled me with his power, equipped me to bring me to this particular point. But I know about you, I'm still hungry for more. Still hungry for more of him, to know him deeper. Listen, you can never, ever exhaust the reservoir of God's grace, of God's spirit, of God's love. You, there's just more. And I long to see miracles. I long to see more healings. To see the power of God poured out. To see lives changed as they encounter the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we allow the Holy Spirit to shape every area of our lives, he is the one who's going to illuminate God's word for us. He empowers our daily lives. He gives us faith for healing. He makes us into a prophetic people. He's our guide, our comfort. So what if we were to long for more of his presence? What if we were to passionately pray and expect him to come with power? What if we were to be radical, spirit-filled believers that didn't really care what other people thought about us? And God has got so much more for us as a church. So let's press into him. Let's keep asking. Let's keep seeking as we gather, as we pray. And we, we, of course, we're doing this already. We're, we gather on a Sunday evening. We, we're seeking God. We're praying, God, pour out your spirit. 
But actually, each one of us in our homes, as we gather in smaller groups, as wherever we are gathering, let's be crying out to God, God, we need you. Our city needs you, Lord. Our city needs you. Let's expect more than we could ever dream or imagine. This story comes to an end with baptism. In the Gospels, Jesus had instructed his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen, water baptism is important. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but also we need to be baptized in water as well. That's what the Bible commands. And, but baptism, water baptism does not save anyone. Let's make that very clear. Only Jesus saves but it's a powerful sign, it's a declaration of saving faith. And baptism is this outward sign of a change that's already taken place within a believer's heart. And it strengthens, it encourages our faith. It's this tangible, physical representation of a spiritual reality. And as you obey Jesus in the command to be baptized, you can expect to receive the blessing that comes from obedience. So next Sunday, hopefully you you know we're having a baptism service. We've got two Chris's. You have to be called Chris to be baptized, obviously, next weekend. Um, not really. By the way, if you do want to have been baptized, and you want to be baptized, do come and see me afterwards, and let's talk about it. But yeah, we've got guys coming to the water baptism next weekend. Do make sure you're there. It's just a wonderful time. You know, for the Gentile believers... For the Gentile believers, it was something a little bit more for them because it also was a sign that they were fully welcomed in. See, they had equal, been equal, equal recipients of God's Spirit, which meant that they are now equal members of God's new community, the church. God had welcomed them in, demonstrated through this baptism, and the church now welcomes them in as well. However, the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church is just really, I think, a foretaste of a future hope, the future hope of eternity. See, later on in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we read about another vision. This time John gets a vision. He records it in Acts chapter 7. Part of it, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they are shouting with one great roar, salvation comes from our God who stands on the throne and from the Lamb. And God is looking for his people to bring his people, more people, into his kingdom from every nation, base, from every tribe. And listen, you need to be praying that the Lord would open up the doors of opportunity for the gospel into many nations right across our world. At the same time, be praying for our ethnic communities within this nation as well, that they may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, pray that God would open doors for you in your situation. It may be that you've got a Muslim or a Hindu neighbor or, or colleague at work. 
I want to pray in a moment. I want to ask that God would give us more faith to believe that the gospel is for everyone. Absolutely everyone. And then the boldness to open up doors of friendship, of hospitality, of kindness. Isn't God is calling you to go where he's sending you. To make disciples of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them the word of God. The great commission that Peter heard still applies to the church today. The question is for each and every one of us. Are we fulfilling it as we should? So what's God calling you to do? Very simply, the first thing he's is to be filled with his spirit. If you're not a believer here today, Jesus, come to him, receive him in life, be filled, be filled with his spirit. But then we're told to go, to go out to bring the gospel. I want to stand. Let's stand together. I want to pray over us as a, as a group, as a congregation. I want to pray for God's Spirit to come, equip us for this week ahead of us. I want to pray as well just for open doors where you are in your place of work, in your school, your college, university, wherever you, wherever you, you're at, maybe out just in the people you regularly meet during your time out in Chester. For open doors, for boldness and confidence. Listen, we have his spirit, his equipping. You have all you need in Jesus Christ. Everything you need is available to you. So, Father, I want to pray as your people, as we reach out to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful stories, the encouragements of what you've done in the past. But, Lord, we want to see it in our we want to see lives changed today. We want to see people responding to you today. People who do not know you yet coming to meet with the living Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray over us as a, as a body of your people here. Lord, for your equipping. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come. Holy Spirit, just come and fall upon us. Lord, we understand, Lord, you do it different ways and in different lives, in different times, in different... Lord, you, you do what, you need to, what needs to be done in our lives. And how that will look, we don't care how it's going to look, Lord. We just want you. Yes. We want you. So Holy Spirit, come, just minister, just even in these moments. Just bring to our minds things that need to be put right with you. And then fill us. Fill us afresh. Just receive... Receive from him. Your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children. But listen, as you receive from him, you sense in which you're propelled outwards. So I want to pray for a heart of joy, joy in the gospel, but a joy that will take that message, that hope, to those who just don't know yet. I want to pray over particularly our ethnic communities. We haven't got many around Chester, but some of you aren't, will be in contact with some. I want to pray for fresh opportunities this week for the gospel to go into places that has never been brought to before. Pray for our Muslim community. God, you bless them. Reveal Jesus to them. Reveal Jesus to them, we ask.
Give us the boldness. Give us the courage to be the ones who will open doors, Lord, to show love, to show hospitality, to show generosity, we ask. Equip us, we ask. Fill us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we give you glory. We, we praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Lord, lift our expectation, Lord. Just get, so we give you glory, Lord. We, we just, we're excited, Lord, because you've, you're doing something. And, Lord, we haven't seen the end of it yet. We're just at the beginning. But, Lord, we, we give you glory because you're working. You're changing lives. Lord, we pray for more. More of you, Lord Jesus. So be exalted in our hearts, in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.